Welcome to the Dig In Travel Podcast, where travel and other digital professionals level up their marketing skills by listening to the top industry experts. And now here's your host, Istok Franco, founder of DigInTravel.com, your number one resource for travel, digital, e-commerce, and marketing. Hi, this is Istok and you're listening to episode 5 of the Dig In Travel Podcast. Before we start today, I need to really say thanks to everybody who listens to this podcast and especially all of you who provided me great feedback in the past few weeks. I could really not imagine this podcast kicking off so great and getting so many kind kind words from all of you. Uh, It was just incredible. So thanks to everybody again and I'll keep working to provide you great content on this podcast. If you listen to our past episodes, you probably know that we'll mix it up here with this podcast. We'll talk to different chief digital officers about digital strategies and digital transformation. But on the other hand, we'll also talk to digital experts who actually do this stuff in practice. So we'll try to be practical as well. Today you can listen to one such talk about a topic that I'm very passionate about. I'm talking about conversion optimization and experimentation. What I see from my research in this area of conversion optimization that's focused on airlines is that more and more airlines have established conversion optimization and experimentation teams. But there are still many of you that are not there yet. So I talk to different airline digital and e-commerce people who tell me, Istok, we want to start, but we really don't have the resources or we don't have understanding and support from our management. What I see is that in many cases conversion optimization or experimentation starts usually with one enthusiast, one person who is really excited about experimentation. Usually this person then becomes a program leader, internal champion for experimentation or conversion optimization. This person, he or she, needs to be really curious, have an entrepreneur-like mindset, and be passionate about digital and marketing. But this is not enough. Often people who want to push experimentation in their organizations or in their airlines, they still struggle to get support and recognition. So today you can hear from one such huge experimentation enthusiast, Shiva. He is a marketing manager and conversion rate optimization manager at Gartner. And he is a huge CRO enthusiast. In this talk, he'll share with you experience with starting and building conversion optimization programs. He did this uh, in various instances in the past. And you can also hear Shiva's great story and advice for dealing with your superiors or managers who don't understand conversion optimization. We also talked about how to scale your conversion optimization program uh, to do it faster and do more experiments. I hope you'll enjoy this show. If you do, Please leave us a 5-star review on iTunes, it will really help us make this podcast even better. Now, enjoy the show with Shiva. Hi, this is Istok and we are talking today with Shiva. Shiva, welcome to the Digging Trail podcast. How How is life in Texas? Oh man, it is a lot colder than I thought it would be. Um, it's like 37 degrees outside right now, but, uh, you know, loving it here, loving it down here in Austin, Texas. 
So this is the the new reality of uh, of uh, talking people from around the globe, people from Texas complaining that it's so cold while here in Europe it's too warm. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm actually from Connecticut, so you would think I'm used to the cold and used to the snow, but uh, I will I will never get used to the cold. <laughs> okay. Okay, good. So before we start, just a warning to our listeners: we are recording this with Shiva on Saturday evening. And we both have dogs, so don't be surprised if there is some unplanned barking happening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he might. Uh, my dog might disagree with some of the things that I say, and he might be vocal about it. <laughs> uh, we are. Uh, I'm a huge dog lar, so all good here. Okay, so let's start uh, seriously, uh, Shiva. Basically, why I reach out to you. I see you are a big conversion optimization enthusiast, and you really like talking and engaging about CRO, A/B test, experimentation. Maybe before we start uh, digging deep into it, how did you end up in experimentation and in CRO? Yeah, I have like a weird, crazy story. So uh, I originally went to college uh, for physiology and neurobiology, which is a mouthful. Um, I grew up in a family that is you know veterinarians and i was surrounded on medicine so i thought you know i really wanted to go into medicine um that was my career trajectory uh i went to uh college for that uh as soon as i was out of college did my bachelor's i was totally i kind of had like a life-changing uh moment where i was like i don't think i want to do this for the rest of my life and i kind of had to make a career shift and um, one of the things that I thought I was really passionate about, honestly, was just marketing and technology. I mean, I, I kind of did just a lot of technology stuff on the side. So I thought, you know, why don't I jump into um, technology and just marketing? It's an interesting field. It's booming. And it's just it's been growing ever since. So let me give that a shot. So I applied for a, a startup, which was a digital marketing startup. And I kind of just worked there, grinded for about three years. And I just... It, it fascinated me. Like every day I would come in early and I'd look at the clock. It'd be like, oh, all right, it's eight o'clock, get my coffee. And then look at the clock again. I was like, oh my God, it's six o'clock. <laughs> Where did this day go? But, you know, just loving it, loving digital marketing, uh, just doing testing and all that stuff. And it was just super fascinating to me. And I kind of lucked into that, honestly. Um, it wasn't something that I had necessarily planned, but man, I just, it's it's a fascinating field for me and i just i love everything about testing okay uh, very interesting and how did you start learning or how did you learn from let's say general digital marketing more detail about cro and experimentation yeah honestly uh i worked very closely with someone who had been in this in the space uh, the ceo for the first company is you know a very very smart person who kind of just he was my mentor for for quite for you know three years and um, worked very closely in terms of just learning testing from him, learning about digital marketing principles and things like that. Um, but the fascinating thing about CRO is just when I got into it, it was still kind of nascent. And even if you want to consider nowadays, you know, there's a lot of companies who still don't do CRO. So we're still kind of learning as we go and figuring out what's kind of the best ways to do CRO. So, you know, just you know, there's a lot of peers in the org um, in CRO and just LinkedIn and kind of just connecting with a bunch of people who talk about it. Um, and the community, the CRO community is a very close-knit one, very welcoming but close-knit that you you can share ideas, posts, and people will give you feedback, positive or negative. And, you know, we're all kind of just doing this together, kind of learning it together. Um, so that's kind of the community part of it. But the personal part of it, um, 
I kind of just like learned coding on the side on my own. I learned the statistics on my side on the side on my own. So um, there was a lot of passion for me in testing. So it was actually pretty easy for me to just pick up those skills along the way. So I just love doing it. Okay, one interesting thing that you see uh, that you said, and I also see in the research area that we do, uh, where we research in detail how airlines do conversion optimization, you said that there are still many companies that don't do CRO. And this is what I see also in our field. So I see some companies that are very developed, that they have quite enhanced testing, experimentation, UX problems, while others, they are still trying to figure it out, trying to even understand what is this. Um, what do you think? I saw that you were in the past establishing uh, different CRO programs in organization. What do you see is the key first step? How to start? How to even expose conversion optimization in an org in a new organization that is new to it? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, I think one of the things is as a baseline, uh, the culture has to just be receptive to testing. Honestly, um, if if you have an organization largely driven by Hippo, which is highest. Uh, paid person's opinion, something like that. Um, if you have that kind of organization, then it's going to be a very, very difficult uphill battle. Um, if you're part of an organization that is data-driven and you know is open to, and not only open to, but uh, will refuse to make decisions unless there is some kind of data to support that this is in fact the right way to do it, then that's honestly your first step. And that's a, that's a very difficult thing. Um, I've been part of organizations where uh, it, it just never registered that, excuse me. Um, I've been part of organizations where it's just, you never really get to that point of the switch, like just flipping that you have to have data-driven decisions. Um, people will, I've been part of organizations where people will look at tests, they'll say, hey, this is a winning test. And they'll be like, eh, I don't really like it. I don't want to do that, <laughs> which is just, you know, uh, yeah, sometimes you just you'll just never be able to convince certain people um, with data, and that kind of stinks. But um, I've been thankful to be part of you know a lot of organizations that have been largely data driven, and it's really awesome that even in the current state, a lot of organizations now are making that big shift and totally overhauling culture to not just be data driven, but obsessed with data to the point that you know it's not just one data point making decisions. You're getting data inputs from a bunch of different organizations and um, uh, I'm sorry, not organizations, different function teams. So everyone's kind of working together to kind of work on this shared story of data driven as a whole. And experimentation is just one part of that where, um, you know, obviously I'm a big part of that, but you know, it's, it's just good to see that finally people are taking that step to being more data-driven uh, as a whole. So you're saying, okay, you're, we are already working with data. We, we, we are an organization that values data. So testing is just the next step. It's uh, like a additional uh, next step in the right direction where we will uh, validate our things that we do, our decisions, I don't know, our product changes, new products we will evaluate it with our experimentation program. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, uh, experimentation is a very awesome way to get data that you want to validate doing things on the website. And it's not just things like design. Um, you know, I, I've run experiments where we've tested marketing principles on our website and 
once we've tested them, we realize, oh, hey, this marketing principle works a lot better than this one. Let's go ahead and move with this one. Then you communicate that back to the marketing team and that changes their whole org too. So that's, it's like a data point for uh, the mark. It, it's just a data point in terms of getting you, uh, you know, just a data point for feeding into just overall data. Um, but, you know, you have other things like analytics. Uh, you have, you know, data scientists looking deeply into analytics data to get you the right data. Maybe you're doing user research that gets you data. But experimentation is just another data point feeding into your overall, you know, data collection, so to speak. Okay, one thing that you mentioned initially, uh, you were talking about hippos, so about, let's say, not a culture where, where I don't know, different opinions are valued and uh, are evaluated and are open to testing, uh, but where it's more like, uh, let's do it this because, I don't know, a boss or a leader says it. Uh, it's a challenge to start uh, with experimentation in such environment, but sometimes it's also a challenge when you run experiments because people might interfere because they find it uh, interesting and then they wouldn't let you to to do it properly, like to, to evaluate it properly, like you mentioned statistics, to find statistical significant, uh, significant yeah. results, how to interpret the result. Did you have any experiments... Uh, uh, with this part, how to manage that? Yeah, for sure. Um, it's It can sometimes be a challenge to explain to certain people when they have preconceived notions about how like testing and CRO works. Um, a lot of people have these preconceived notions and they kind of don't really have any other data points to go off of. So a large part of it, honestly, is just education, right? You know, sitting them down saying, look, these are how the statistics works. Um, this is how the, like, the, te the data just, you have to interpret the data. Um, one example in particular, which this is this is my by far my personal favorite antidote. Um, one of the companies I started with uh, when I first got to the company, um, I was in charge of running experimentation for them. Um, their process in terms of experimentation was literally uh, running a test for two days, looking at the results, seeing which one was positive, and then running that, and then moving on. Um, so obviously, uh, I'm sure a bunch of CROers are cringing at the fact that. Uh, data decisions were being made uh, two days after a test is run. Um, so the challenge there was, you know, the senior leadership didn't quite have a firm grasp of the, you know, statistics behind A-B testing. Um, they just saw positive lift and they're like, great, let's, why wouldn't we do this? This is winning. Let's go and then move on. Um, but the reality is, as, as uh, most CROers know, uh, letting a test run for two days is not uh, good usually <laughs> um, and is usually quite bad because uh, there's a lot of fluctuation that goes into those tests early on. So in that particular example where I started the organization with that organization, um, I, I didn't necessarily have the repertoire immediately to push back. So I had to figure out what was a, what was an in, what's a way that I can kind of staple the point home that this is just really bad. Uh, this can't, this, you guys are making decisions like the wrong decisions. Um, so what I did was in a super snarky way, I, uh, the next time I was told to run a test after that first time I saw it happen and go from start to finish. Um, I literally, they wanted to run it a certain way. I said, okay, I'll do it that way. Um, but I literally ran it as an AA test, not an AB, uh, so just for our listeners yeah. by AA, you mean you ran basically, you were testing two, 
you split traffic AA to and tested basically the two same things at once. I literally made no changes on the website. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> okay. yeah. Version A made no changes because it was the control and version B made no changes because it was the control. So literally there were no differences to the website. Um, and then I let that test run for two days. I saw a 20% uptick in CVR. Uh, the executive saw a 20% uptick in CVR. I'm like, okay, great. Let's push this out to 100%. I was like, wait, 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 hold on. Are you sure you want to do this? And they laughed at me like, yeah, it's 20% lift. Why wouldn't we do that? And I was like, well, okay, uh, this is an AA test. And you kind of got the curious looks on their head. Like, I don't know what that is. And I basically said, I haven't made any changes on A versus B. And you could slowly see the gears turning like, oh, wait, what? I was like, yeah, this is, <laughs> this is just really bad statistical analysis. You have to let this test run for a specific sample size that we have to predetermine and then see based on those lifts, you know, there's statistics, there's statistics behind that. You can't just let a test run for two days and interpret those results because that's just an incorrect interpretation. It's just flat out wrong. Um, so they finally got that point and said, look, let's let this test run for, I think it was about two weeks or two and a half weeks or something like that. That was the sample size. So let's let it run for two and a half weeks. Let me prove my point. And they're like, okay, we got it. So let the test run for two and a half weeks. And then we saw that the results actually did finally normalize out to basically being a non-statistical significant conversion rate lift of some minuscule amount. And then they're like, oh, okay, I think we finally get it. So that was a really snarky way that I probably <laughs> shouldn't have done as my like second test there, but it paid off. Uh, to Since that point, they had not peaked uh, after that. And they finally, like, that was a little bit of a trust building moment. But uh, yeah, they totally understood the principle and they're like, okay, got it. We have to let the test actually run its duration. Um, yeah. yeah, no, I think it's a great example, a great story. And also my experience, we just ran one case we're discussing with the team. I think one really, you, you mentioned one really important role as being as a, let's say a leader of a CRO program, which is not only, not only to educate why do you need testing, but a lot of people get excited about testing and then you need to also educate how to do them and how to interpret results. Uh, one other, as I said, one other case that I saw was not with statistical significance, but basically the team was interpreting results without segmenting. So basically they were saying, oh. okay, this doesn't work. But then when we drilled out in a more specific segments, we say, okay, guys, maybe you saw the results. They are working really fine for one set of our audience, which is receptive to this message, while the other part of the audience, in this case, it was uh, new existing customers versus uh, new people who are new to the brand. This test and this message runs completely different. And, and I think it's a similar thing when wrong interpretation of the results gets and the test gets done and the test gets overruled, while I think with more knowledge and with more uh, let's say caution to interpreting result, you can get different, uh, uh, basically different interpretation, maybe the right interpretation. How oh, do, totally. uh, did you have any similar experience? Oh, totally. I mean, that's a great example of like, uh, new users versus returning users. That's a great segment to look at. Uh, one of the ones that I think is commonly overlooked is desktop versus mobile, honestly. Um, that was one thing where another company that I had just started recently with, they had just ended a test from the previous, uh, you know, CRO program manager who had joined. Um, and I was just kind of peeking through his old results and looking at them. And he, he ran quite a few interesting tests, 
but he had called it saying, you know, it, no statistical significant lift, um, you know, let's move on. But when you actually drill down into the results and you looked at desktop versus mobile, you're like, wait a minute, this was a terrible test on mobile. And this was a really good test on desktop. And it was a very simple, easy thing to kind of think about. But then when you read into it, you're like, yeah, this is, so it's, you know, whatever the principle that was being tested, I don't remember off the top of my head, honestly, but whatever the principle that was being tested, it was a principle that resonated very well on desktop and didn't on mobile. And as we all know, there are very different uh, behaviors when it comes to desktop versus mobile. So that's another one that's a common overlooked segment that uh, people kind of just run a test in aggregate and then just say, oh, it lost or, or oh, it won. Um, but it's possible that in the in you know in that same vein, maybe the test won, but if you look at the results, it was actually really, really, really good on desktop and meh on mobile. So then you can interpret those results just different ways. And um, you know, I've been I've been running a lot of tests uh, across these programs, and the more tests I run, the more I kind of look at those segments. And sometimes you can go down a rabbit hole, right? And you just kind of go super deep into segments, and then you're like, all right, well, I'm looking at I'm looking at desktop users who are female between the ages of 30 to 35 who have bought in the past. And it's like, okay, well, you've narrowed it down to about three users with a lift of 300%. That's not useful. useful. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but yeah, totally. That's something that's commonly overlooked in segment kind of segmentation uh, of results for sure. Yeah. And uh, one thing that I also see, because at least in our industry, in airline industry, there is a lot of talk about personalization. Mm -hmm. And I try to explain to airlines that basically personalization and experimentation go hand in hand, because basically with personalization, you need to figure out how different audiences uh, are different to different kinds of uh, messages, different kinds of uh, uh, products. And basically you can test this out with... uh, experimentation so you learn about uh, your audiences and different uh, different kind of audiences so i don't know how you see that but i see that the good organizations that are smart with this with uh, with this approach they're combining cro and personalization together totally uh, yeah and i think one of the things that's commonly overlooked too uh my personal opinion on this is that uh, a lot of people just assume that personalization uh or at least they're they're execution of the personalization is the right thing to do and they kind of just roll it out um but i have a very strong uh belief that you shouldn't just personalize for the sake of personalizing one uh you just don't you you won't be able to calculate the roi right and experimentation is super helpful in not only getting you wins but calculating what that lift is and how much revenue you know your program is actually driving um, it's very unique in that, you know, there's certain programs that it's kind of difficult to attribute revenue specifically to, um, like, you know, branding, uh, uh, campaigns and stuff like that. Sometimes it can be a little bit muddy, but with an AB test, you literally know, uh, this, this experiment that we ran gave us X amount of dollars in revenue as a lift. No, this is a great point. Uh, great point. I think, yeah, that's why we also preach first do even before experimentation do proper analytics so you can even measure how this be, uh, how big these different audiences these are different segments are and then like you said before you personalize make sure you can test otherwise you don't know what works and what doesn't so yeah. just trusting personalization will work because we will make such simple variations without measuring and testing i think it's uh, like you said it's not the proper way so 
this is another, I think, great point why you combine these two. Totally. Okay, go, going back to, okay, one thing we said, okay, if you want to start with experimentation, you need a person who is uh, enthusiastic to do this in internal uh, teaching, internal, uh, let's say, being... Uh, uh, being an advocate for the program, dealing with hippos, explaining the value, uh, showing the proper processes, how to measure. But then once you establish this, so when you get this trust, when you're starting with first experiments and you sh get some wins, uh, what is, I think a lot of organizations that I see struggle with scaling this up. What is, it, what is your experience, how to scale, how to do then more experiments, uh, how to do it in a, in a little bit bigger scale? Yeah, so let me take a couple steps back. I, I did I didn't want to like mention a couple things about kind of just like starting off with okay. a program and then scaling it up because you know just just because you run a couple tests doesn't mean that you actually have the solid foundation baseline to kind of scale it up. Um, so the the way that I kind of thought about and kind of like my framework for like starting and scaling an experimentation program is honestly. I have a couple steps. The first one is literally just assessing the tools that you have, figuring out, you know, you obviously need an experimentation tool, whether that's optimized, the optimized VWO, whatever it is, you obviously need the tool. You need the analytics behind that. Um, as a value add, you have, you know, heat mapping, click tracking, et cetera. Um, so you first assess kind of the tools that you have, um, assess the resources that you have, which is, you know, designers, developers, um, making sure you collaborate very well with them. Um, I know you mentioned like, you know, CROs have to be passionate and excited for it. But honestly, it's 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 a lot of relationship building too, because um, there's a lot of opinions when it comes to CRO, and CRO validates and invalidates a lot of opinions. Um, so you obviously have to be a little bit more humble, but you have to also be able to have the right communication style to communicate that with the key stakeholders, which are designer and developers. Um, the marketing teams, you know, senior leadership, etc. So just making sure that you establish very good relationships with them because you want to collaborate with them and you want to establish very, you know, a very transparent program. Um, and you also want to hear their perspectives on things too, because uh, when you're running when you're running these tests uh, from like a purely data perspective, like you're just looking at GA, you're looking at you know uh, user research, whatever it is. The people who are on the front lines can give you a much more value, not even, I don't say much more, but they can give you a totally different perspective that you hadn't even considered from a web. You know, talking to um, customer service folks and, oh, people are complaining about the website or people are complaining about this. Then you can take those problems and possibly internalize them as tests. Um, seeing, you know, talking with program managers and saying, okay, well, what are the problems you're seeing right now? Oh, we're seeing that. Um, a lot of people aren't really engaging with this new thing that we added. Um, so then working with them and figuring out, well, what do you hope to accomplish with this? Uh, what are the goals for this? And like talking through these problems with them and hearing their perspectives is extremely valuable. Um, so I think those are a couple things you, you should definitely establish before you even launch a test. Um, okay. And then obviously, you know, you have to set up a, a roadmap with a prioritization framework that thinks about, you know, projected impact lift, dev resources required, um, impact revenue, et cetera. Um, but once you kind of have started with the process of collection of ideas, 
um, talking with key stakeholders and kind of establishing those relationships and figuring out what are the resources you have. Uh, honestly, the, the biggest thing you can do is figure out that lowest hanging fruit opportunity and win as soon as possible. Um, and I think that's, you kind of mentioned to that, right? Where it's just, you know, once you have a win, how do you scale up? Well, before you even win, try and find the easiest win you possibly can. If you can get a quick win and you can quickly highlight the fact that CRO is worth doing, which it really is, um, there's no arguments to be made with that. But as long as you could prove that and say, hey, you know, <laughs> we're one for one. We ran this test when we lifted revenue by, you know, 5%. It's not necessarily much, but hey, man, one for one with our first test, that's pretty good, right? Once you prove that out, then you start getting that buy-in from you know from key stakeholders to then scale it up. Because once they see that you did a test that won, and you have those kind of relationships set up, then you can work with the devs and be like, "Hey, man, you know we, we got this win. It's you know five percent lift to revenue. You know let's hard code this, but also let, I'd like to work a lot closer with you guys on execution of these tests for some more complex things. One because that's the right way to do it. Two, you know." you'll have that, it'll just be faster and more efficient. So, you know, and like working with the design teams too, making sure that they're all on board and, you know, they'll have a unique perspective too, making sure you're collaborating well with them. Um, but honestly, that's just, when, I, when I've had experience with this, that's what I've always done is, <coughs> excuse me, as soon as I've kind of established the baseline, immediately focus on the highest priority, like the lowest hanging fruit test that we could win quick. Um, and then that helped immediately kind of get the conversation going with the dev teams to be like, all right, well, what's your resource, you know, like what do your resources look like? How can I, uh, work with you guys so that we can start prioritizing the dev resources for more of these tests and, uh, you know, start building out tests where you're not just building a test, um, and then running it and then you're building the next one and running it. There's you get so many levels of uh, scale by enabling that parallelism. So it's not only are you running one test, you're building five in the backlog. And then the dev teams are prioritizing those, but the dev teams are all have their priorities and they're all like, oh, you know, actually this is a three-story test that we can quickly knock out. You know, we'll add that to the next sprint. And then getting a queue of these tests kind of logged up so that as soon as one test ends, the next test immediately jumps on. And then kind of scaling it from there is super helpful. Okay, we'll take a short break. And after the break, we'll continue talking uh, to Shiva about how to scale up the conversion rate optimization programs. Are you an airline professional interested in e-commerce, digital marketing, or ancillary revenue? Do you want to increase the conversion rate on your website or increase ancillary revenue? Then deep dive into airline industry trends with our special Dig In Travel airline workshops. What will you learn in our workshops? All Dig In Travel workshops are based on our specialized airline research and hands-on airline consulting experience. During the workshop, we will provide you with benchmarks for more than 50 airlines based on type, size, and geography. You'll also see real airline examples, case studies, and e-commerce and ancillary revenue best practices. Still not convinced? Listen to what an airline digital manager said about our recent workshop. My expectations were far exceeded by his talk's workshop on ancillary revenue and digital retail. He brought a fresh air of perspectives and industry insights that provided great value for the teams involved. 
The workshop helped us regroup our thoughts on the major ideas where our focus should be in the upcoming months. Reach out to us at info at digintravel.com to get options for your workshop topics and a draft of the agenda. We are back with Shiva. So Shiva, before the break, you mentioned uh, one re several interesting points. I think the first one that was really interesting to me is that if you are a CRO program leader, you really need to be good in communication, especially internally. I think this is also what, when I did an interview with Carl Blanks, who is an author of the book, a uh, great CRO book, Making Websites Win, he said that exactly, that, that that is basically one of the most underrated things about a CRO person that really needs to be good at uh, getting these internal, being good with internal stakeholders, uh, uh, with developers, with UX people, so to get this in place. The second one, at now at the end, when you were talking about, okay, how to do how to prepare to run tests in parallel, how to prepare uh, pr tests properly uh, to run them so that you can start then uh, more tests after the, the previous ends. is one thing that I see with, let's say, the companies that do this on a bigger scale is having a dedicated development pipeline, dedicated development teams and UX teams uh, specifically for CRO. This is, yep. some, is this something that you see as well? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've, I've talked to a number of CRO people where it's uh, the matrix of the organization where CRO lies is just super interesting. And I don't think there's a right answer um, with how you kind of matrix CRO into your org. Um, you could have CRO kind of living within the product team or living within the engineering team. Maybe CRO lies within the uh, the brand team. Maybe it's its own function CRO, and you have you know director levels of conversion rate optimization, and then they kind of function with you know and talk to everyone. There's no, I don't think there's a right way to do it, but I think one of the challenges personally that I've had is, and I think that's not unique to me, honestly. Uh, just kind of getting dedicated developer resources is just always a challenge, um, and that's not unique to CRO, honestly. I mean, that's that's a problem that. Uh, that you know, if you, if you had five cents for every time you heard, oh, I need the developer to do this, you know, that's just it's always a challenge. Dev resources has always just been a challenge and limitation because they have their hands tied to just so many things and they're always busy doing uh, priority stuff. Um, but yeah, one of the things that I've been working very closely on and scaling my own team is you know hiring a dedicated developer that would sit on my team and then hiring a dedicated UX designer that would sit on my team. You know that way. That, that person would have, um, you know, they would work very closely with um, any of the other, um, the, de the development teams and making sure that, you know, they're aligned with, you know, sprints and release cycles and stuff like that. But um, being able to work in a non-sprint environment where as soon as the test is ready, we could literally launch it. Oh, and they're, you know, dedicated exclusively to building tests. There's a specialization that you get with that that uh, helps from just a scale perspective, but you know, just from a speed and efficiency standpoint, having that resource lie on your team is awesome. Um, and then one of the things that uh, I stress very much is prioritization of iterations. So, you know, let's say you win a test, it wins with conversion rate 10% and you wanna move on to the next version of that test or see if you can push that concept even further. So you look at the data and you realize, okay, well, you know, we tested this this way Here's a couple other options as how we can kind of iterate on the next steps. You know, if it goes back to the design team, it might immediately have to, 
might go rescoping and it might be treated as a new test versus the person who originally built it knows exactly, oh, I built it this way. Okay, I see what you're saying. And they can tweak it. And then, you know, maybe it's a sprint with the dev team. Maybe it's, you know, an hour with a dev that's on your team and you can immediately launch a next iteration of that test and capitalize and continue to capitalize on those wins. Yeah, no, good points. And I think this is, like you said, really crucial. I see organizations that have de dedicated development te uh, teams for the CRO are the ones that can really more, do more tests on, and do them faster. But one challenge that I see when we want to, or when our organizations are very key to scale up testing because they see, okay, we got some early wins, like you said, some quick wins. Now let, let's do as much tests as possible because this will make us uh, grow faster and we will be much better is that the quality of the tests then suffers. So it's basically, I see some cases when maybe tests look like the whole process of validation, preparation, user research. So the people convince testing with uh, user research and they don't prepare testing properly and they use it as test will show us what user thinks instead of testing being just the validation. So uh, at least my experience is that much more time should be, an effort should be done before the testing itself and then the execution of the test uh, is just the final part. Uh, what is your experience in this or what's your opinion on that? Yeah, totally. You know, as a as like a sidebar to that, I think it's interesting with certain tests. Um, you'll see that uh, user research will say, "Oh, you need to do X, Y, and Z because that's what our users want." So you'll be like, "Okay, let's do it." Uh, and then when you give users what they want, they don't necessarily convert at a higher clip, and they sometimes actually decrease. So sometimes it's like a weird mix where a lot of tests I've run uh, giving the user what they want isn't necessarily the best thing for what the user is because sometimes the user doesn't know what they want. So uh, it's an interesting balance of uh, working with the design teams to be like, okay, these are things that are worth it. But also uh, these are things that we know have worked or these are things that we're trying to test to see if they work or not. Um, yeah, it's like doing... I think it's like doing, uh, sorry, it's like doing uh, sometimes the service. It's like when people say they would do actually one thing, but then when it comes to really doing, really paying for it, it's not always the same thing. So this exactly. is one other, yeah, this one other thing that's, that's really crucial with testing because you can really then validate if users will do what they say they will do. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a very succinct way to put it. Um, that's exactly right. <laughs> okay. One thing when it comes to user research, uh, because as I said, I personally, I think if you do the conversion optimization program, the whole cycle of the user research analytics, uh, what it makes you on the long run is really understand your users better because you're doing all these activities, these all agile cycles of uh, research and then optimization and testing. And it's about learning. So to me, knowing your knowing your users and then changing stuff so it fits your users uh, the best way is the key. Um, I, I noticed one interesting thing about you, uh, that you that you do uh, or you did improv classes in the past. Oh, yeah. is, that, is that something that uh, helps you with the experimentation? I mean, like doing role playing, maybe relate better to get in your user shoes? 
You know, I'm not gonna say correlation implies causation. But after taking uh, improv classes, I've noticed that I have won more often than I've lost. So, is that a statistically significant result? Maybe. <laughs> okay. um, but honestly I took improv classes uh, one because I just love improv I think it's fun and everyone needs to go see an improv show because it's just so much fun um, but I mostly took it because uh, it helps me personally talk to senior leadership and kind of thinking on my feet and you know you kind of you just literally have to jump in and just start saying words and you know everything will just start coming to you so I love doing it because it's just fun for me, but it's also really helped kind of just like public speaking. So I highly recommend it for that perspective. Um, yeah, and I, when I saw it that you were doing, I started thinking, and I think at least my personally, I suffer from that as well. We, even if we are trained to do experimentation that, you know, you need to be aware of your biases and opinions, in a way we still want to, you know, it's hard to, to not look at things from your perspective. You are, we are always biased. So I think improvs or things like that to help you put yourself in some other person to, to look some things from the other angle, to understand things differently. I think uh, it's a really good connection, uh, not just like you said, uh, uh, being better at communicating, but also I think understanding and looking uh, things from different angles, yeah? Yeah, totally. Um, one of the things I do a lot with my tests uh, to the point of kind of just like poking holes in like kind of validating uh, and not having introducing biases and kind of your interpretations is I, I very much am a uh, skeptic when it comes to just testing. Um, well, I guess not testing. Maybe I'm just a skeptic in general in life. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but um, uh, with every test that I run, I don't just, you know, look at macro level event, uh, you know, let's say for example, um, I'm running a test and I say, oh, it looks like conversion rate improved by 10%. Great, uh, lock it up, move on. Uh, I usually stress test the hell out of every single metric. So, you know, look at things like, okay, well, did this increase bounce rate? Did it decrease bounce rate? Did people even engage with this new thing that I added? Um, did people even see it? If it was below the fold, how many people even saw it? Um, so. You know, a lot of times we talk about false positives and statistics and, you know, there's certain ways that you can kind of, you know, use statistics to, you know, validate or invalidate, you know, the false positives and the false negatives, but to also layer on this level of tracking micro conversions, which means, you know, things like I just mentioned, you know, bounce rate, uh, how many people saw an element, how many people interacted with an element. Those are ways you can kind of stress test your tests. So you kind of validate that, okay, well, conversion rate increased, but also we saw an improvement in, let's say, form starts or, you know, people who added to shopping cart. And we saw uh, an increase in the amount of people who then got to maybe that next step or that final step. And then we saw an increase in, you know, conversion rate. So those are ways you can kind of help validate uh, and kind of poke holes in the tests so that you're not just looking on a macro level and saying, oh, statistically significant, boom, on to the next one, because oftentimes you might ha hit some false positives with that. No, yeah, I, I agree. I think it goes in the line what we talked before, not just only seeing the test win or lost, but also trying to understand as much as possible why, so to, to get the learning out from it.
Yeah, and exactly to that point, you know, it's it's not just doing that distress test, your test, literally, um, but it's also from a test and learn perspective. Um, I am very much an advocate of test and learn. Uh, I'm sorry, test to learn, not test to win. Um, because if you test to learn, you will win a lot more. Um, what I mean by that is testing principles and testing things to see what is behavior on the site, what are people naturally gravitating towards or not gravitating towards? So you can promote the things that are that people gravitate towards that aid in the conversion, fat, uh, conversion path. And then, you know, maybe deprioritizing or maybe tweaking the things that people aren't resonating with to see if maybe that becomes a value add for them. So a lot of tests I run, I, actually, I wouldn't say a lot, 100% of the tests I run, I learn something out of that test. Whether it wins or loses, you learn. Um, uh, you know, for example, let's say you run a test where, uh, I don't know, let's say, for example, you have uh, product reviews and you add maybe additional product review information on your website or something like that. Um, and let's just say, for example, it's Amazon and you're testing different types of review facets, something like that. Uh, let's say you added, you know, three additional lines of additional review content and it didn't resonate with people. But then you look at the heat maps and you're like, well, it looks like people did re read it, but maybe it was a detriment because conversion rate went down and business to product pages went down. So you can take those cuts of data and then figure out those next steps and those next iterations from that first test you ran. And you might lose a little bit in the beginning, but your wins will be far greater than, oh, I have this crazy idea to totally test this brand new landing page. Um, and then if it loses, you're like, well, I tested 50 different things on here. I don't know why it lost. So let's just try the next big thing. And it, it becomes a challenge. And there's definitely a balance between, you know, the level of uh, disruption and, you know, the level of changes that you make. But I'm very much a firm believer of, you know, make sure every test that you run, whether whatever those results are, you're setting yourself up for success by basically tracking the hell out of everything and, making sure that you kind of learn whether the results positive or negative, you kind of learn something from it. Yeah. I like the expression that you said, not test to win, but test to learn. And this is what I think conversion optimization and any experimentation is all about. Okay. It was a great chat. Sure. Uh, I really enjoyed it. And the next time when I go to, if I go to Texas, I'll need to reach out to see your improv show, yeah? You'll have to tell oh, me where, where to find you and see you, yeah, in life. Oh, absolutely. And I am going to definitely make sure I get you a taco because they're the best in Austin. Okay. Thank you again. And wish you all the best with your future experimentation. I know you'll have fun. And it was great talking to you, yeah? Yep. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by digintravel.com. Dig in Travel is your number one resource when it comes to airline and travel digital marketing and e-commerce. Visit digintravel.com to find the latest digital trends and white papers with in-depth airline digital benchmarks.